Hi, you're listening to Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. We're in our next lesson from the Sexual Purity series called Do You Not Know? We've titled the message today, Become Who You Really Are. Who are we when we come into God's family? Well, according to scripture, we're sons and daughters of the living God, and we also need reminders on how to grow into that role. As we listen to these messages, it's clear our God is interested in transforming our entire self, not just a moral makeover. So let's listen now to part two of Become Who You Really Are. Here's John. This whole new identity and state of being is all based upon God's act of setting us apart from the world and from the dominion of our sin for himself. It's God's achievement, not yours. Jerry Bridges says in Respectable Sins, which I hope you pick up and read, because I got a lot of this from Jerry and I got a lot of the rest of it from Michael Horton because they're both very helpful with this. But he says, we are made saints by the immediate supernatural action of the Holy Spirit alone who works this change deep within our inner being so that we do in fact become new creations in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. You have been set apart by God for God. But Paul describes this change in Acts chapter 26 like this. He says, turning from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place, listen, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, Paul says like this. He says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom that is God's rule and blessing of his beloved son. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. You hear that? It is, it's never coming back. We think it hasn't passed away. We think it's going to come back and stay with us forever. It has passed away. And behold, the new has come. And so every believer in this sense is a saint. From the, from the most, quote, mature to the most immature in the church, everybody, every believer is a saint in this sense. Let's look at the word sanctified. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. And look how Paul says this in verse 2. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, if you read the whole book of 1 Corinthians, the last thing you would think with these group of Christians were sanctified. And Paul begins this letter saying to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be hagias, holy ones, separated unto God, saints, now, here, Paul uses both terms in this verse. Now, sanctification is most often thought of as a process or this ongoing work within believers whereby you are progressively and inwardly being renewed and conformed to Christ-likeness. And that is true. There's an aspect to that, and we'll come to that. But that's not what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 1-2, nor in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, when he says, you've been washed, you've been sanctified. The scriptures use the term sanctified in a much broader way. Theologians make a distinction between what is called definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification. We, this morning, are talking about definitive sanctification. And listen carefully. 
There will never be any progressive sanctification unless there is first definitive sanctification on God's part. And that's what Paul's trying to teach us. And we'll come back to that, and you'll see the implication. So what is definitive sanctification? The term sanctified means to be set apart. It means to be separate. God, in the Scripture, when he sanctifies stuff, he separates people, utensils, clothes, animals, whole nations from their ordinary common use Listen, for his own special use. So let me give you some examples. In Exodus chapter 40, verses 9 through 10, the utensils in the tabernacle and later the temple were said to be holy. Now, how could that be holy? It's because God took them from their ordinary common use and set them apart for a sacred purpose of use in the tabernacle and temple. So they became holy. They became set apart. In Exodus chapter 28, verse 4, the priest's garments, what they wore, were called holy. In Exodus chapter 28, verse 26, the priests were said to be holy unto the Lord as they ministered before God in the tabernacle and temple because God had set them apart for a specific purpose for his own use. In Leviticus chapter 23, verses 19 through 20, The animals used in sacrifices were called holy. And the reason an animal was called holy was not because of its intrinsic nature, but because of its its being set apart and designated by God for a divine specific use. In Leviticus chapter 20, verses 24 through 26, the entire nation of Israel was set apart from other nations and declared by God to be holy. Listen to what God says. I am the Lord God who has separated you from the peoples. Do you hear that? Separated you from the peoples? Separated from the world? You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean, which has nothing to do with dietary habits of eating. It has all to do with being holy, this idea of definitive sanctification, You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy before me, for I am the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Do you hear that? He took them from the world. He set them apart so that they would be his. Therefore, he says, you should be holy. The New Testament carries over this same meaning and shows that sanctification is, first of all, God's act of setting us apart from the world for himself. Now, do you know where we find this definitive act of sanctification um, in, in its originating source? We find it first and foremost in our election in Christ. In in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says this. He says, even as he chose us in him. This is just going back to like Leviticus 20. There's no difference. Even as he chose us in him before the world, that we should be hagios, holy ones, saints, set apart. 
In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, electos, holy and beloved. Because you have been chosen by God and set apart, you are now a holy one and you are beloved by God. You are his. You are set apart for him. You have been taken from the world and set apart for his unique purposes and service. You belong to him. You have a new identity. You are now a saint, a separated one, set apart, sanctified in Christ Jesus for God's own purposes. Paul, in his farewell address to the Ephesian elders, he said this. He says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. The word of his grace is the gospel. And what was Paul commending them to the gospel for? Because he says, it is able to build you up. The gospel, the word of his grace, is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In other words, those who are separated by God for God's special use. The author of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 10 says, By that will, by the will of our heavenly Father... We have been sanctified, that is, set apart by God for God through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, this quick tour through the whole Bible shows us this. Every Christian is a saint, a separated one. Why? Because you have been sanctified. You have been set apart by God for God. Do you understand this? This is what Paul is teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And until you begin to understand that, Paul says there is no hope for you to ever, ever pursue holiness in your daily life. You have to know this. And you don't know this. You don't know who you are. I don't know who I am enough. That's why we have to be reintroduced to this refocusing, re-identification gospel all the time. Because if we don't, we'll default like the Corinthians and go back to our pagan past and be driven by that rather than driven by being set apart for God for his use. Do you understand me? Now, we must not think that because our state of being has changed, that we are now sinless and perfect. Our personal experience this past week of failure, flaws, our crippling habits, our endless addictions and constant frustration to do the good that we long to do but don't do clearly testifies that we're not perfect. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, if anybody thinks they have perfectly kept God's law, they're deceived. Who this morning can honestly claim to have perfectly fulfilled the great commandment? Perfectly loving God and perfectly loving your neighbor this past week. I'll just give you one example. We'll take the seventh commandment, which is do not commit adultery, which is not just pertaining to adultery. That's just an example that God gives to actually show God requires the opposite, of which is absolute moral purity. That's the point of the seventh commandment. So who can, believe that, who can claim this morning to have perfectly conformed that all that God requires and forbids in the seventh commandment has been perfectly followed by you? 
Question 62 of the Heidelberg Catechism states that even as believers, our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. Again, question 114 in the Heidelberg Catechism asks this question, but can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? And here's the answer, no. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of disobedience. Nevertheless, with earnest purpose, they do begin to live out not only according to some, but to all of the commandments of God. Do you know what that's saying? It's saying this. It said, all who have truly been set apart by God do not disregard any requirement in the law that God gives. Every believer who's been definitively sanctified and now has become a new creation in Christ desires in his or her heart to give full obedience to everything that is required in the law. Everything. But the reality is this, is that in this life, saints still struggle to conform to what they really want to be. So therefore, Christians are both saints and sinners at the same time. This, this issue raises this question, well, if we're saints and we've been sanctified, why do we struggle? Why do we continue to sin? Here's the answer. We have already been set apart by God from the world for God, but we're not yet glorified. And so the remnants of sin, this old Adam, this Adamic flesh, still is with us. So we live, listen, we live in this already but not yet tension that causes great frustration and struggle. Because our frustration comes from this. It comes, it comes when our experience in life doesn't match who we are in Christ. We live in this tension. Paul discusses this struggle in Galatians 5.17 and in greater detail in Romans chapter 7. Martin Luther and the Reformers referred to this inner tension and struggle by using this phrase in the Reformation. We are simul justus et peccator. We are simul at the same time, justus, just, et, and peccator, sinner. We are simultaneously justified and yet still a sinner. Now, that's good news. By this phrase, the Lutherans and the Reformers and they did not mean that a Christian who is still a sinner is an unchanged person. They were not denying that you're no longer, you're not a saint. By God's gracious actions, we're made new creatures and dwell by the Holy Spirit, set apart by God, for God. Nonetheless, the Christian is still partially sinful and partially righteous in terms of his sanctification. He still struggles. In Romans chapter 6, Paul is rejoicing over the fact that he's justified, that he's been definitively set apart from the dominion of sin, and that he's now been raised in Christ. He's alive in Christ. And he comes to Romans chapter 7, and he's agonizing over the incongruity between the gospel truth of Romans 6 and the experience of his ongoing battle with indwelling sin in Romans 7. Even though all of that is true of me, Paul is saying, I still as a believer cannot give the kind of obedience to the law that I want to give, wretched man that I am. But that's not cause for discouragement. And that's not cause to give up in failure and frustration. 
And the reason is, is because in Romans chapter 8, listen carefully, the struggling believer in Romans 7 is not condemned. He says, there is therefore no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And right before the therefore, he was talking about the struggling Christian who's the wretched man. And the wretched person who is struggling, not serially unrepentant. But the Christian who is struggling and wants to obey but continually falls short, there's no condemnation for that struggling Christian. And that is what keeps you persevering in obedience and pursuing holiness. Because if you, for a second, thought you were condemned, you're not going to pursue obedience. Why would you want to serve a God that you can never, ever measure up to? You don't have to because at the beginning of your Christian life, he's already measured you up. And so Paul says in Romans chapter 8, the struggling believer, he is not condemned. He is alive in the spirit. He is waiting in hope, a certainty of expectation for his resurrection body and the renewal of all creation of which he is already a part is just not consummated. And so in the meantime, until that happens, the Christian's desires always, always exceed his or her practice in this life. And that is what causes the struggle and tension. And if you lose sight of who you are, do you not know that struggle and tension will cripple you? And then you can't pursue holiness. So Paul argues, listen, the conflict... This conflict that we experience is not for subpar Christians, the so-called carnal Christian. There's no such thing as a carnal Christian. He says that this conflict is not just for subpar Christians over against the so-called victorious Christians who are really sanctified. Rather, he says, every believer experiences this constant daily conflict between the flesh and the spirit. Do you know why? Do you know why you experience this conflict as a believer? This inner tension and struggle, here's why. Because the already aspect of the gospel is so true for you that it's causing it. You are already, listen, set apart for God by God. You are already indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit by virtue of being set apart by God for God that causes this inner tension, this inner groaning that Paul talks about in Romans 8.23. When will it be consummated? That's what we want. And so in answer to the question, are Christian saints or sinners? The answer is simply this. Every believer is a saint because every believer has been set apart by God for God. But at the same time, every Christian is a sinner because they continue to struggle with their sin. Every believer is simultaneously justified and sinful. And it is this reality that causes frustration, but it is also this reality that causes great hope and not discouragement. So you know what? You know what the last thing is that we need to be told? Try harder. We don't need to be told that. Paul does, you will read, go home and read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20. And, and, and if you find it, I'll repent publicly. But you're not going to find it. Nowhere does Paul tell these believers, these immoral Christians, try harder. He doesn't do it. We have all tried harder and we continue to sin. What is so troubling for the Christian is that his or her sinful desires do not simply disappear, even though they've been set apart by God for God. 
We still live in the aftermath of original sin, and it affects us every moment of every day. And so Paul, because of this, doesn't exhort the Corinthians, try harder, be better. He doesn't offer relevant practical steps for overcoming sinful habits in our life. Do you know what those do? They only impose more expectations and more demands as conditions for success. And then when we fell at those conditions for more success, we just beat ourselves up even worse. We throw up our hands in frustration and despair. Paul doesn't call us to enter the higher victorious Christian life for spiritual Christians. He reintroduces the Corinthians and you and I to a fresh knowledge of the gospel and its implications for our life. This is how the, the Bible drives us to sanctification. It is precisely because we have been sanctified, set apart by God for God, that Paul calls on the immoral Christians and us, now live like it. Be holy, because you have been set apart to be a holy one, therefore be holy. John Piper says it like this. He says, holiness is first a position and a destiny before it is a pattern and a behavior. This is what Paul is teaching us. Do you not know? Do you not know? You have been set apart by God for God. This is your destiny. This is your state of being. Therefore, in light of that, start to become more and more who you already are. Michael Horton will finish with this, and it's just so helpful. He's so helpful. He says this. He says, In spite of the fact that the Corinthian church had become filled with immorality, strife, division, and immaturity, Paul begins both letters to this body by addressing them as saints, holy ones. And he reintroduces the wonder of the gospel precisely because their status was defined by the gospel's indicatives, the apostle could call them to repentance, which is the only legitimate response. Where most people think that the goal of religion is to get people to become something that they're not, the scriptures call believers to become more and more what they already are in Christ. Because they were definitively sanctified or set apart as holy to the Lord, the Corinthians must reestablish proper relationships, order, and behavior in the church. Their practice must be brought in line with their identity. This is what you and I need to know. We need to be constantly reintroduced to the wonder of the gospel so that our practice can be brought in line with our identity. We need to be constantly reminded of our new state of being, sainthood. Everybody is trusting in Christ, you've achieved sainthood. Not because of your works, but because of what God has done for you. And then because you're a saint, live in light of this gospel reality. We know that we're not called to try harder to be something that we're not. What we need to know and what we don't know is that we're saints called to be who we already are. We need to know that we're called to become more and more what we already are in Christ. We need to know that we are already separated unto God. You need to know that you are a saint. You don't know this. Paul says, know this. You need to know, listen, that while you're a saint, 
you have been saved from sin's guilt and sin's power. You are not yet saved from sin's presence. Therefore, you need to know that you'll continue to struggle with your indwelling sin. But you don't have to throw your hands up in discouragement and give up in exhaustion because, listen, and this is the good news, all legal obstacles that might withdraw your new status as a saint has been forever resolved in the justifying act of God on your behalf. And you need to know, Paul says, that not only will this justifying declaration never be recalled, your status will never be revoked, but you have been given power not over, only over guilt, but over sin's corruption and enslavement and tyranny so that you're free now to obey because the gospel will empower you to obey. You're not helpless. There's hope for your life. You can change. It's slow, but you can change because the gospel is the double cure. This is what Paul is teaching us so we don't have to fall into despair. We do not struggle from a position of condemnation, but we struggle from a position of hope for the future. Amen. Thanks, John. That's Become Who You Really Are, Part 2. More from the Do You Not Know series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.